Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. It's Friday. Today's the day. Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. Uh, and I don't know, the uh, Christmas is upon us, right? It's the 20th day of December. The countdown has uh, officially fully begun. Uh, depending on where you live, your kids are already out of school or kids in your community are already out of school or they're out today uh, at some point. Um, we are done with school at 1045 this morning. I have no idea why that is the uh, moment that has been decided upon for the end of this semester, but there it is, 1045 a.m. where I live is the end of this academic semester. So uh, it's always helpful uh, for us to remind ourselves first thing in the morning that we need to be in the Word of God. And so let me just ask, where in the Word are you today? It's The easier question is, where in the world are you today, right? We can answer the question of geography. We can answer the question of, um, you know, the agenda, the list, where we're headed. Uh, part of my family is headed today to Australia to spend a couple of weeks there over the uh, Christmas and New Year's holiday, so praying travel mercies upon them. Where in the world are you is an interesting conversation, but not nearly as provocative and interesting a conversation as where in the word are you today? I've got a friend, uh, Jessica in Atlanta, who texted me this morning letting me know she's in the book of Exodus. Uh, where are you in the word today? I'm in Luke 20. Why? Well, in part because we have been each day of Advent reading the corresponding chapter of uh, the gospel according to Luke. And so on this 20th day of December, the 20th day of Advent this year, uh, we are in Luke chapter 20. And let me just say, this is a another rich Rich, rich, rich passage of Scripture. There's a lot in here. We could um, we could spend all morning talking about the authority of Jesus, or the parable of the tenants, or paying taxes to Caesar, or um, the the question of is there is there you know giving and receiving is there resurrection uh, is there is there marriage in heaven like right resurrection in heaven and marriage is all in this chapter, and then there is a conversation about whose son uh, is the Messiah. And uh, there we're talking about Jesus as the fulfillment of, of the promise to David. And then, and then at the very end of today's uh, scripture text in Luke chapter 20, we get a conversation uh, between Jesus and the people who are listening to him. But it's clearly taking place in front of the Pharisees. And Jesus um, basically warns people against these teachers. He warns them against the Pharisees, who are the teachers of the law and the religious leaders of their day. It's a it's a very, very, very provocative chapter of Scripture. Um, I would like to settle in for just a moment in these opening verses about the authority of Jesus. This is a question of authority. Um, when, when it all comes, like, down to it, when you boil it all down, there's the question of me, M-E, me or the capital T H E E me or thee that that's the ultimate question each one of us is going to have to answer 
Um, did I live my life with myself, with me on the throne? Or did I acknowledge the sovereignty of God over my life, um, the lordship of Jesus Christ over my life, the Holy Spirit within me, and with whom I am joyfully submitting every moment of every day, not to the me, 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 me spirit, but to thee, not me, but thee, not me, but thee, not me, but thee. That's, that's the question of authority. That's the question of lordship. That's the question of Christmas. Next up, uh, Matthew Hawkins will be back. He and I are going to talk across a few headlines of the day. Um, and then uh, I am, I'm going to let him turn the tables, and I'm going to let him just pop off and ask me uh, about a headline he's interested in. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Matthew Hawkins is back. You can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Uh, you can also find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. I'm going to guess it's a .com. I haven't pulled it up this morning. Am it I right, a, sir? It is a .com. It is a .com. Right. Yes, man. And it's not because either one of us really has commercial uh, interest in our websites. <laughs> um, because, right, I'm reconnectwithcarmen.com, and yet there's nothing there to buy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, sure. well, but you um, know, the, the duck, the dot com is you know the kind of the the I, internet the age historic one, thing, and the fact that the fact that one can still get one's name uh, on a dot com is a is a pretty <laughs> pretty big deal among the nerds anyway. It's <laughs> nobody it's really cares. Thing. It's a big thing for Christmas who, among who, the nerds. Right? Who who wants dot biz or dot info? I mean, you know, who, what's who, the big I mean, thing? And I'm, and I'm not dot org. You know. Yeah. What's the, me what's the big thing at Christmas at your house? Because I'm thinking that you have, is she, th- is she like three or four? Three and a half. Or, three and a yeah, half. Three and this half. is going to be a mm. big, mm. big Christmas for her. Probably the first one she uh, more remembers. And we did an early Christmas with my parents in Florida. Uh, so she had a little taste of it. But uh, we'll do, you know, we'll do put up. This is probably the first year she'll re- remember uh, and participate in, you know, putting cookies and milk out for Santa. And uh, we'll, uh, you know, She'll you know wake up in the morning and see uh, a new presence under the tree and that kind of thing. And so, uh, but you know, I, I reflect on uh, some of my traditions with my my parents. And uh, my mom used to always cook a particular dinner on New Year's Eve. It was always uh, game hen, which are little little uh, poultry uh, things, and that would complete with stuffing and uh, sautéed green beans uh, or sautéed with with butter and uh, little pearl onions and uh, it was just delicious and it would look forward to it every year we're not doing that this year but it was one of my mom's favorite traditions okay i love that so um three and a half yep um why, why don't you um you know because this is the time of year when we talk about the birth of mm-hmm. a particular baby um who really did change the course of human history um yeah. babies change our lives pretty dramatically your baby um your baby is special and her birth story is special. That, that occurs yeah. to me. Um, yeah. Why don't you just share with people sort of your, your testimony um, about the birth of your, of your baby girl? Oh, that's great. What a, what a sweet surprise. Uh, well, uh, so Maggie Jo is our, is, our, our, is our one and only child at the moment. 
we had her only after uh, uh, we, my wife and I experienced two miscarriages prior to having Maggie Jo. Uh, in God's good grace, that was a relatively simple uh, medical fix to figure that issue out at the time. Uh, and then uh, we decided uh, it was in uh, June of 2018, and we went with my family to the East Coast, uh, with uh, the, East, the Eastern Coast of Maryland, where we uh, used to commonly vacation for what we thought was going to be a baby moon prior to uh, prior to delivery for Maggie Joe. Uh, the day before we drove to the what beach. What does that mean for those of us that are like not in baby speech? Uh, what is a baby so, moon? Right, right. So baby moon now is a is oh, is that like a, a honeymoon, but it's before your baby comes? It's like yeah, it's like a va- <laughs> exactly. It. It's like a it's a it's a it's a honeymoon some you know pseudo honeymoon vacation prior to the delivery of a baby sometime sometime during those nine months that a couple that's now a hip thing for couples to do. Uh, basically, okay. we I mean we called it that. We just had an opportunity to go uh, to the beach with my parents and. Uh, and my sister and, and, and brother-in-law and her, her kid at the time. Uh, so, you know, we're on, on a beachfront condo and uh, we drove up on a Friday after having, we almost literally left from my wife's OB, OB uh, where they were talking about scheduling and uh, her and the OB schedule for when she was on vacation and that kind of thing. And uh, didn't think anything of you know, driving three hours away from our, our OB and hospital. And so we had a couple great days of beach time uh, fun and, uh, and uh, including, uh, our, you know, Maryland blue crab dinners. And, uh, then on Sunday evening, Sunday night at about 1am, uh, my wife's water broke and, uh, drama ensued. And so, uh, I don't want to eat up uh, too much of your, your air, That's air okay. time this, this morning, was how This was how far prior to the due date? This was, um, uh, Doctor, doctors technically say it was six weeks uh, premature, okay. so not okay. not dramatically. Uh, but in, but in way before where, you where were you expecting pre- it. Way before we were expecting, we had right. nothing. We had no baby stuff with us <laughs> at all. And uh, I, we 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 estimate it, she may have been actually maybe four weeks preemie, um, but technically speaking, the me- doctors were measuring it at six weeks preemie. Uh, anyway, so we're you know in the beach uh, on the beach. It's middle of night. Uh, they don't have uh, they don't have delivery wards along the, along the coastal highway in Maryland. Understandably, they're all first aid spots. And so uh, called nine one one. A policeman arrived graciously, stuck his gloved hands around the door, and basically said, "I'm here." just in case the EMS doesn't get here in time and which was provided us a good chuckle and the EMS got here and we uh, rushed my wife away to uh, at the time we had no idea where we were heading we my wife was picturing kind of the worst case uh, you know countryside uh, uh, hospital to go to Uh, didn't really know what to expect Uh, the uh, EMS in the back was telling her the story of where she they had to they had I think within that year had delivered a baby in the Kmart parking lot. And so when they passed passed that particular landmark, they said, okay, we're good. We're going to make it. Uh, it turned out we were at um, uh, Peninsula Regional Medical Center um, on, in southern in southern Maryland, and it was a fantastic facility, uh, top notch. I could uh, tell you a daily uh, little tidbits, stories of encouragement from us. But we ended up living out of a La Quinta hotel across the street during ten days while our baby was in NICU, and I think she was born at like. 
maybe five pounds, five pounds or so. I think we departed the hospital at like four and a half pounds. And so we were uh, newbie parents. And, and one of the things they freak you out about, especially for NICU babies, is that uh, they have to pass the car seat test. Are you familiar with the car test yeah, before they I, depart well, NICU? Well, but I mean, go ahead and tell people because I don't know that everybody yeah, knows. Yeah, yeah. But but I think that <laughs> so, just before we do that, okay, just before yeah, we yeah. do that, we have to take a quick break. So when okay, we come okay. back, when we come back, this <laughs> is the Matthew Hawkins version of the uh, of the the way my baby came story. I've I That's envisioned right. Joseph like I envisioned Joseph when he gets back to Nazareth. I mean, eventually telling uh-huh. the 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 way his yeah. baby came story, right? And yeah. it's full of all the same kinds of intrigue and drama. And we had to stay yeah, a really yeah. long time in in a place we hadn't planned to be. And there wasn't That's even right. a La Quinta. There right. wasn't even a La Quinta. Okay, so we're going to pick up where we left off. And eventually Matt and I are going to get to the headlines. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Should nothing of our efforts stand Okay, because I think that birth narratives and the uh, baby announcement stories and the retelling of uh, the stories of the birth of children is actually a great thing for families to do at Christmas, to retell Mm -hmm. the stories. Um, That's why I've invited Matt Hawkins, to his surprise (laughs) and hopefully delight, to uh, tell the story of how Maggie Jo, now three and a half, arrived in the world. We pick up the story. We're now now at a La Quinta um, somewhere in coastal Maryland um, a a few weeks before they had expected her to arrive. uh, Mary Jo came. uh, Maggie Jo came. And we're now going to... We're, we're now going to be informed about how she had to pass, or Matt had to pass probably, yeah, the um, yeah. car seat test before she could go home. Yeah. No, I mean, it was actually, it was actually, she had to pass it. Uh, so we're living okay, at a then, La Quinta then see, Hotel. I don't know. Then I clearly don't because, know. Because it's, uh, it was the closest hotel. It was literally across the street from the hospital. And so we're, but even then, uh, you're, you know, with the NICU uh, and mommy's, mommy's feeding babies, uh, that's like a three hour rotation, right? So you hospital for you know spend 45 minutes to an hour feeding the baby rush back to the hotel to try to get an hour's worth of sleep and then repeat and somewhere eat amidst all that so we're doing all that uh and you know they they're all following baby's progress so they can't promise you when you're going to leave so it's all very indefinite we have no idea how long we're going to be there uh and but one of the thresholds uh, once they once they start getting you know we had to order baby stuff off of amazon thankfully that delivered to the la quinta um <laughs> including our car seat which had we had already been purchased but it was with a family member on the other side of maryland for you know this was like four before any of our any of my wife's uh, showers and so we had like nothing even at home uh and so but the the car seat test is because NICU babies uh or premature babies um part of the development that they're concerned about is the lungs their lung strength and, and capacity and ability to uh breathe in all different positions so they don't uh, suffocate and uh the car seat test is basically they they want the baby to in the NICU sit in a car seat position at least the duration of your drive home, mm. which for us at the time was going to be three hours at least. And so that, uh, now 
she passed it with, you know, it, she was fine. And uh, thankfully, uh, developmentally, uh, e- even that week in the NICU, uh, the nurses and, and doctors were saying, this girl doesn't know how young she is. Uh, she pulled out her feeding tube within 24 hours. Uh, that was just this. And there were like other, other hurdles, other thresholds that she passed uh, that was really surprising. So ever since then, I mean, we've been extremely blessed with a very healthy, uh, healthy little girl. Um, but at the time you don't know what this is going to look like and you don't know if uh, she's going to experience some developmental challenges. Um, and you know, the idea that your baby's, they already, you know, drill into you, uh, you know, the avoiding, uh, you know, uh, SIDS. A baby suffocating and yeah. showing you, yeah, SIDS and, uh, uh, in their bed. And so you're already paranoid about that as a new parent. And then the whole ride home, uh, you know, uh, Crystal sitting in the back seat with her. Uh, but little other story, but she survived. It was amazing. It was just one of those stressful things. You don't learn until you're in it. Uh, you don't even know about such situations until you're in it. Um, one last thing, the, the encouragement that we received from the folks at the hospital uh, had to have been providential. My wife's name is Crystal. She had three nurses named Crystal during those 10 days. Um, wow. a, a slew of nurses. This is the East Coast of Maryland. A slew of nurses had Vanderbilt training behind them, which is my wife's alma mater, her former and now current employer. Again, uh, her um, her breastfeeding coach had has a, had a, a kid um, uh, enrolled at Belmont University here in Nashville, Tennessee, which is my alma mater. It was I, I kid you not, it was every day like that. A top, aside from being a top notch medical facility, um, uh, just story after story of of encouragement uh, and it pr- really God providing everything we needed, uh, even though we were woefully unprepared at that moment. So that's that's our Maggie Joe birth story. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to so, share it. Uh, right? I get excited I love about that. it anytime I. Tell I feel I feel like this is the time of year people should be telling the birth narrative. It doesn't it it, some birth narratives are really like quick and it all went exactly as planned and it happened in the in the place that it was planned at the time that it was expected. um, And all of the attendant things happened in, in, you know, exactly the way the books say. And most people's most people's birth narratives um, are not quite that tidy. They don't happen yeah. when when it was you know necessarily expected, where it was necessarily expected, or you know at a pace that uh, people thought, or you know somebody wasn't literally headed the right direction. Um, intervention yeah. of some kind was required. I mean, there are there are stories, and then there are these stories of what takes place after the birth of the baby, um, like how are we going to get home, and all of all of the the parts and pieces of that. And in the midst of all of that, as a culture, and as certainly as Christians. We're having a conversation about a woman whose um, betrothed precious husband, Joseph, put her on a donkey and and mm. she had to ride a donkey. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, like the conversation about the donkey ride. I just feel like she was pr- I feel like, you know, at some point, like Mary was, you know, could we get a wagon? Like is a wagon an right. option? Like right. it has to be like, is there like is a buggy an option? No, no. On a donkey. On a Mm. donkey, really? On a donkey? Anyway, so I just feel like there are so many conversations. And even when we have a conversation about when they arrived in Bethlehem and they are looking for a suitable place, um, um, you know, the the conversation now that we have today, knowing what we know culturally about the time, knowing what we know now about the Greek language, which maybe a generation ago was not quite so clear, we know this was not about finding a La Quinta. It was not about finding an inn. It was about yeah. finding somewhere in someone's home that they could literally bed down for the night. I mean, like we know more than we did even a generation ago about what this night um, of blessing 
uh, of the coming mm-hmm. of the Christ child, what it really looked like. So thank you for indulging me and telling us <laughs> the birth welcome. narrative um, uh, of Maggie Joe, because I do think I want to encourage people, like tell the birth narratives in your family this Christmas. Um, kids need to hear their story told because they need yeah. to they need to know how precious they are, how much time and energy and love was invested in all of this. Um, and I am mindful being in a family like on Saturday, we're going to have of the kids that are going to be at my house in the, grand, in the grandkid level of our family. You know, one child who has been adopted into our family in the last year. I don't know his birth narrative and I don't know that we'll ever really know his birth narrative. And then we've got two teenage foster girls um, who, you know, conversations about the house that they were raised in and their birth narratives. I don't know that they know like that there was any joy surrounding that. And so I do think it's a complicated season, um, but having these conversations as families um, and particularly for dads to talk about the value of their children coming into the world. I just thank you for indulging me this morning. I know mm-hmm. we never even got to the headlines that we'd planned. No um, worries. But th- this is much but those more will hold. fun. Those will hold. Hey, <laughs> Matt Hawkins, have a great, wonderful Christmas uh, with Crystal and Maggie Joe and everybody else you're going to be celebrating with. Thank you so much for adding so much uh, to this program in the year past. We look forward to the new year ahead. Likewise, Carmen, it's been a joy to join you during 2019 and uh, Merry Christmas and happy and we'll see you in the Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We'll be right back. Okay, so, well, that didn't go as planned, but um, sometimes uh, precious, precious Paul Perot lays lays out a great plan for how the show's going to go. I and worked then I hard on up. that. I totally I messed it up. <laughs> I no, it was fine. <laughs> I yeah. totally messed it up. I, I, I didn't get to any of the headlines that you had prepped both Matt and I to discuss. So uh, maybe that was an avoidance mechanism because they were kind of complex. We had mm. a pro-life message on the pages of Vogue. We had India's continued nationalistic trending toward authoritarianism. I, that was a mouthful that I wasn't even gonna sure I was going to get, get Did out. Did you sprain your and tongue then, on that one? We had the pharmacist who has been sued for not filling prescriptions for the morning after pill. Um, I feel confident that story is going to keep because that's going to be, I think, a big religious liberty story in the new year. Yes? More than likely. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, so there you go. That's what Matt Hawkins and I were supposed to be talking about and didn't. Instead, we told baby stories, which I thought was really fun. Hopefully, listeners thought it was fun, too. I like Next. I know. Thanks, man. Next up, Dan DeWitt. He and I have conversations planned as well, but who knows where it may go? Well, actually, he and I are definitely going to talk about C.S. Lewis and Christmas. Um, And then we're going to get a few highlights from his Worldview Weekend Reader list for this week, which I know includes at least one thing. And it is an article posted um, by Mark Galley at ChristianityToday.com entitled, Trump Should Be Removed from Office. Uh, Christianity Today is one of the leading communication platforms for evangelical Christians. Um, This is definitely a a hot topic of conversation among evangelical Christians uh, in all social media platforms right now. And so I feel confident it's going to make it into uh, Dan DeWitt's Weekend Worldview Reader. But we'll ask him when he's up next. My wife and I have certainly been weather tested when it comes to raising teenagers. And even now, we still tussle over how to relate to our adult children. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When our 25-year-old son announced his divorce, Jan and I couldn't see eye to eye on what to do or what to say. We were confused and hurt, and it took a toll on our marriage. We started drifting apart, setting up emotional foxholes, and hunkering down alone. 
and it took the grace of God to snap us out of the funk and get us back together and focused. Are you and your spouse facing a crisis at home? Working through the pain alone is not an option. Pull together and get on the same page. Your marriage deserves it, and your teen needs a united family now more than ever. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Um, and Dan, I'm not going to ask you to tell the birth narratives of children. I, I surprised Matt Hawkins with that, and that's all we got to, which was great. And um, and I'm encouraging people to tell the birth narratives of their kids this Christmas. I think it's, uh, it's an edifying um, experience. But you and I are actually going to talk about C.S. Lewis and Christmas. I'd love for you to just share with us um, on this topic. Well, you know, most people think of C.S. Lewis as a warm, um, you know, holiday nostalgic figure because mainly because he included um, Father Christmas in the Narnia stories. And so the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe have kind of become a Christmas classic. And that's actually the wrong image of C.S. Lewis. He was a bit of a Grinch. I know. So I like this. So you, you lead off and people can find this at Theolatte. Dot com. Yes. If they go and they visit theolatte.com, they can find what we're talking about today. They can. They C- can find an article called um, Was C.S. Lewis the Grinch? And it's kind of the the back room for an article that's being published next week with Christianity Today. That'll be kind of the, the showroom, if you will. OK, so that's going to be a nice segue in just a minute to something posted there. Um, C.S. Lewis was a Grinch. OK, so people think that because he doesn't talk a lot about Christmas. Is this true? You know, if you do a search in his letters, um, in his diary, and then look at, he has a number of essays where he talks about Christmas, and it, it's just really comical. He he often would sign in his letters, if there were less goodwill, then we would have more peace on earth. He would write his letters in Christmas saying that. <laughs> and he just despised the, um, not only the commercial element of Christmas, but the obligatory nature of card gifting and guilt gifting. Um, so he has all kinds of funny things to, to say about Christmas, and I'd love to share some of it. Yeah, absolutely. Please, share away. All right, so my favorite is um, he wrote an essay called um, Delinquents in the Snow. And <laughs> when you first see that, you know, you think, what's he talking about? He's talking about Christmas carolers. <laughs> so, and he describes the Christmas carolers, and I'll just give you a quick quote. He says, at my front, they are once every year, the voices of the local choir, those of boys or children who have not even tried to learn to sing or to memorize the words of the piece they are murdering. The instruments they play with real conviction are the doorbell and the knocker and money is what they're after. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Halloween. Well, it it really is. And Lewis goes on to say, they're probably the same hooligans that tear up my garden and mess with my house and make a lot of noise. And, you know, so Lewis just really, I think most people would think of him as the Grinch. And it it reminds me of several years ago, I went to um, 
on a trip to England, I was teaching my C.S. Lewis class in Oxford, and we went to Lewis's home church. And while we were there, they had a little bookstore, and there was an elderly lady who was, um, you know, kind of was the clerk at the at the gift shop. And she mentioned, she said, oh, I remember C.S. Lewis when I was a child. And wow. she could tell I was, yeah, and she could tell I was really interested. And she said, all she said about him was, he was a grumpy old man. And that's all she wanted to say. <laughs> so it does uh, it does make me mindful of sort of the, the witness and testimony that we have to others at Christmas. Um, I'm, I'm thinking here about the whole debate about Santa Claus and yeah. sort of, um, you know, how outraged we can get, um, you know, that people are embracing obviously secular or secularized, certainly commercialized, um, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. One of my friends posted yesterday. He's like, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't try to convince a kid that there's not a Santa Claus unless you're also willing to engage in the fact that all of that, you know, all all of those non-pharmaceutical pills you're taking to make yourself feel better, um, you know, are, are based on a false belief as well. Like, right? Like, there's this, there's yeah. This, there's this reality that we as adults believe in a bunch of stuff that um, is as fanciful as believing in Santa Claus. And I, you know, I realize that for Christians, there's there's this great debate about whether or not people would ever even include Santa Claus in the mix of things that they expose their kids to at Christmas. Um, but, you know, I think that the the fact that it's always winter and never Christmas, that speaks to me. I don't I, that's that's the reality of the uh, of the way the world feels a lot of the time. And until the incarnation, until Christmas, it feels like winter. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, isn't that a, such a? It's, it is a powerful scene for Narnia, and for Tolkien, um, he didn't had no idea why Lewis included Father Christmas, and um, you know, it's kind of this interesting inclusion. And I had someone I was we were doing a C.S. Lewis conference in partnership with Andrew Peterson a few years back in Nashville, and had a gentleman there who came up to me and he said, "Who do you think Santa Father Christmas represents?" And the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And I said, well, yeah, I don't know. I think he represents himself, you know. And he said, well, you've got the emperor beyond the sea, who's uh, clearly a father, the, you know, father God type. Um, then you've got Aslan, who's clearly a Christ type. And he said, now, who's the only person other than Aslan who doesn't have to be introduced to the children? And I said, well, I guess it's Father Christmas. And he said, and what does he come to do? Well, he comes to bring gifts. And so the guy kind of blew my mind because it, you could see this Trinitarian picture now um, where you have Father, Emperor, Beyond the Sea, Son, Aslan, and Father Christmas playing perhaps the Holy Spirit who shows up to give gifts. Hey, I like that. Yeah. Okay, you, so so here, this was a... Um, uh, it seems like the time of year to give assignments, particularly to you know professor types. Um, what what about uh, what about an uh, imaginative writing? Here, this is uh, I'm, I'm brainstorming here. What yeah. was the evening of the Inklings like? Right, they're all they're all gathered together, um, and uh, at the University of Oxford or somewhere nearby, and they're having this conversation right about whether or not Lewis should include Father Christmas in this story because they can have this open conversation about the fact that Lewis doesn't like Christmas and they can, or, you know, he doesn't like the way Christmas has become. I'm not saying he doesn't like Christmas because that would be to say he doesn't like the incarnation, which clearly is not true, but there you go. Like a little imagination into 
um, or a little wandering around in what that evening conversation might have looked like. Because they were like a writer's club, right? I mean, like, they were they were kind of editing each other's ideas. Absolutely. And Tolkien was really outspoken. He did not care for the Narnia stories, which C.S. Lewis, you know, it, it's interesting. Lewis wrote multiple reviews of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and spoke very warmly of Tolkien. So he didn't really kind of take as an opportunity, like, you know, you knocked my children's story. I'm going to knock your, you know, uh, mythopoetic story. Um, however, you know, Tolkien did not like the Father Christmas story. C.S. Lewis scholar Michael Ward has pointed out that Lewis is doing something really interesting. If you've seen the, the documentary or the book, Planet Narnia, the Lewis has some deeper elements that are at work that he actually seemed to hide within the story. And I wonder, and I'm sure Michael Ward would disagree with me, but I wonder if Father Christmas might not have some deeper meaning, um, as the one conference attendee suggested, that there's perhaps even a Trinitarian perspective um, at work there. But for Lewis, he, he did not like the Christmas season. Um, in one letter he exchanged with a, a lady in America, her letter, their letters are published simply as letters to an American lady. Um, but he told her, he said, let's make a vow not to write each other um, during the holiday season because he had, mm. was inundated with so much correspondence. But for him, the incarnation was a massively big deal. Um, so it wasn't that he despised the incarnation. The incarnation gave him a total philosophy, a, a complete worldview. Okay. Um, Dan DeWitt is a smarty pants. He has a PhD from Southern Seminary. He's also the author of multiple books, including Life in the Wild, uh, Fighting for Faith in a Fallen World. He teaches theology and apologetics at Cedarville University. He blogs regularly at theolatte.com. One of the things he does at the end of each week is put together the Weekend Worldview Reader. We're going to talk about that up next. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You one of the least grinchy people I know, Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Merry right? Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Absolutely Merry Christmas. Um, so as students uh, depart the campus and you uh, are still um, in the thick of it, each week you put together something called the Weekend Worldview Reader. Um, I have to tell you, this is kind of a gift. It's like a little gift that that I receive each and every week because what it means is <laughs> You have actually distilled down um, a list of things that would be helpful to read over the weekend and consider from a Christian worldview. So everything that's on the list is not necessarily like you are agreeing with the viewpoint of the author. Um, we're not saying that everything that's on the reading list um, is even necessarily from a Christian worldview. Like sometimes they are pieces that are I'm trying to engage with to, to understand what the secular mindset um, is talking about out there. So what is going to be on the Weekend Worldview Reader this week? Well, in terms of politics, I'm going to have two contrary um, positions. One, why it's um, wise for Christians to vote for um, President Trump in 2020, and then one that says that he should not, he should be removed from office, which, as you know, is published by Christianity Today. And I'll often do that where I'll put two articles side by side. They'll give you two different perspectives. So that will definitely be on the list. All right. And you saw Star Wars last night. So is that going to be on the list? Yes. In fact, I'm going to publish a short little piece today um, about why Star Wars shouldn't work, but it does. And the answer is that it actually is borrowing capital from a Christian worldview. 
it absolutely is borrowing capital from a Christian worldview. I mean, I just think that the whole the whole question of uh, well, all of the questions of identity, belonging, and purpose, the the contest between good and evil, the fact that you have a choice in the matter, uh, just in terms of the where where you're going to align and what force you're going to choose to be on the side of. I mean, is that at least a fair, quick, not down in the weeds of of Star Wars summary? Absolutely, and you know, you think about the very first Star Wars that came out. Um, disclosure, the year I was born, 1977, and what's going on in the world and the draw towards Eastern philosophy. And so the way that Star Wars is trying to play off this idea of a force and everything is one and there must be balance in the force, but that's really not the storyline. The storyline is not about balance. The story is about the triumph of the good over the evil, um, which is a Christian idea. And that's why Star Wars does work um, but if it actually tried to live out consistently the the philosophical idea of Eastern religions where everything is one, um, it wouldn't work if they actually tried to take that all the way through. One, um, one thing to highlight from this week's Weekend Worldview Reader that is not politics and is not sort of the pop culture of Star Wars. What's one more thing I'm going to find when it comes out later this morning at Theolatte.com? Well, I'll always have something from philosophy. And so there are a handful of philosophy magazines that I'll look at. And so you're going to find something that will challenge you um, to think about what it means to be human. And so I'm always looking at the way that the secular um, secular thinkers are trying to make sense of this deep question we all have to answer. What am I? Who am I? And so you'll find some of those, as always is the case. I try to tie in philosophy. And like you, as you know, I always try and put a fun video in as well. What's this week's fun video? You're going to have to wait and see, Carmen. Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I I do appreciate that. Um, Okay, so I have one one quick worldview question um, just to pitch at you this morning um, because it was it was kind of communicated to me. Um, by a listener early this, earlier this week. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hold that and I'm just going to ask that question of Dan DeWitt. Um, this person is, you know, it's a Christian. Um, I, I perceive this person to be a college student. She hasn't actually come right out and said that. Um, but because she described her situation as she's headed home and her heart has really been tenderized to the faith during, um, you know, during the last few months, that's sort of the way she described it. So it sort of sounds to me like she's on a college campus where she's come to know Jesus, or at least she's come to know the Jesus-y people, and she's, <laughs> this is growing affection. She, she wants to go to church on Christmas Eve because she, you know, like, she hears that that's something that, like, you know, would be a good thing related to Christmas. She does not have a family that's ever been to church. Church is not a part of what happens in their family on Christmas Eve. Just, just talk to her. Well, first of all, I would just want to say that this is a really good thing. Um, that she's exploring this and considering it, and perhaps um, her heart's already been um, changed so that she not only is kind of pursuing it, but that deep down she actually is believing that God exists and that he's revealed himself in Christ. And so I would just want to celebrate this with her. Um, I, You know, there are a lot of websites that could give you pointers about finding a good church, but I would just maybe begin with Googling, you know, church, churches um, that— if you go to the Gospel Coalition, they usually have a, a list of churches that they would recommend. And um, there's another organization called Nine Marks. They'll also often have a list of churches that teach the Bible and have a very conservative theology. But I would just want to celebrate this with you. Um, 
as you go home and consider that, I would can encourage you to talk to your parents about that, about what's going on in your heart and your life and how something's changing inside of you. And so um, the incarnation that you'll celebrate on Christmas Eve is the decisive event that changes all of human history. And to bring it back to C.S. Lewis just for a second, C.S. Lewis believed that the incarnation was an event that was either true or false. Um, it wasn't something trivial, something to be reduced to a greeting card or relegated to, you know, the obligatory gift guilting, gift guilting. Um, but if it was false, it didn't matter. Uh, but if it was true, it changes literally everything. So keep pursuing. And in the end, you'll find that you're not only pursuing God, he's pursuing you. I love that. Dan DeWitt, thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will look forward to this week's edition of the Weekend Worldview Reader at Theolatte.com. Thanks, Carmen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. All right. What's the uh, what's the one thing that sort of makes Christmas Christmas for you? That's one of the conversations I'm going to encourage you to have with yourself and with others. For me, it is Christmas Eve worship. Christmas Eve worship makes Christmas Christmas for me. Um, Reading the Christmas story on Christmas morning makes Christmas Christmas for me. Um, Acknowledging that the incarnation is true. Um, Apart from all of the wrapping paper and presents, it's the presence of Christ that matters most. So in the midst of all of the presents, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, I want you to focus on the presence, the presence of Christ. Um, And so he is present with us and he is the true gift of Christmas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.